Good morning. Thanks. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. On your Pewback Bibles, that's page 902. Again, our text this morning will be in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33, page 902. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to John 16, verse 16, where we're picking up today in the farewell discourse. That's what we call this, the farewell discourse. It's, it's the time of um, Jesus's final words to his disciples. And everything that we're talking about today is built upon last week um, where we were introduced to the helper, like Jesus is introducing the helper to his disciples. And it's fitting for us because this is historically the day that we celebrate Pentecost. And so 
everything that we're going to see today, as Jesus has shared with his disciples many things, is sort of built on the idea of the Holy Spirit, the reality of his spirit and, and what's going to happen the next few days. And so uh, we've been covering many weeks, the final day of Jesus's life. And here, here today, um, we just catch another portion of Jesus's final words to his disciples. Uh, and it's important. It might kind of seem like a, you know, a few things that don't kind of pull together in one sort of neat theme. Um, but it's, it's really important, and we know that it's important because it's the last thing that Jesus wanted to tell his disciples. It's the last thing. These are the last things that Jesus teaches. It's the last thing. His disciples, his beloved 12 that he has spent three years shaping in ministry, and, and, and we know that's important. Um, the, the most important moments of history, maybe by presidents and kings and generals, they stood before unprepared troops, unprepared troops and motivated them to succeed at the most difficult odds. In fact, many times in General Patton's career, in his case, he is credited for these types of motivational speeches. While they're maybe vulgar, and if you look back on them, they, are, they seem unprofessional like, and vulgar. Um, but historians believe that General Patton's many speeches to the troops before D-Day um, really turned the tide against just death-defying darkness and odds with a fairly unprepared, quickly trained group of soldiers. My grandpa fought under General Patton, and he never spoke about these, but I read them years later, and they're, they're run-through-the-wall motivating speeches. But I can't help but think that like 80 years ago, on a beach in Europe, that I see the courage and strength that my grandfather had that, that maybe even today like has had an impact on my life. Like, like just that reality. How much more this morning, the king of heaven, whose words are eternal, how much more do they impact us in this moment through the spirit's power? Like that's, that's what we should be logging on to. That's what we should be thinking about. How much more today, the living word, King Jesus, like how much more today do his words matter and how much more do they shape our lives? Like it's not just 12 guys that he loved a lot and you're looking in from a distance and Jesus half means it for you. Like that's not the reality. Jesus has his troops and we're, we're, we're part of the eternal, like we're, we're part of the body of Christ and we're looking in and we're part of that troop. Like we're part of it. So don't lose that this morning as he's talking to his guys. He's talking to his guys and he's not leaning on oratory skill. He's really not leaning on inspiration. Like that's, that's not what he's doing. He's embedding into his family, into his, his guys. He's embedding into them some truths that they're going to need to know in the next few days. They're going to need to know these things. They're monumental truths, and the helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to help them later 
when Jesus is crucified, when he dies and he's in the tomb, and in the darkest moments, like he's, he's, he's embedding truth into them so that the spirit of God in the coming days and weeks can help them, can help them. That's what we do. That's actually what we're doing right now. Having the word of God embedded into us deeply so that the spirit of God can use that in our lives. That's actually what we're doing right now. And it's a, it's a game changer. And one of the things that we're going to see, the theme that we're going to see, is how God takes sorrow and turns it into joy. How the Holy Spirit helps us in that. And how the, the new life and the new birth in Christ, actually like that, that, that emerges in the spirit of God, brings joy where sorrow and darkness and dread exist. And we're going to see how he does that in prayer. So those are the things that we're going to do this morning. Let me pray and we'll jump in. Father in heaven, holy is your name. Holy is your name. Set apart, perfect. God, I want to pray this morning for a simple miracle amongst us. That it's just as you inspired John to, 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 to write true words in the accounts of this gospel, you would inspire us today to, to listen to your words and to be encouraged by your words. Like I think so many times we, we sit here because it's what we do. Or because it's what my wife wants or it's what my parents want. We sit and we stand and we perform our little performances. And so God, I just want to ask you to interrupt those this morning. That you would make us present under your lordship. And under the authority of the word of God. God, would you, would you do that this morning so that we wouldn't just be bystanders of an account ages ago, but that we would be your people gathered by you in this place, that you're speaking through your love and your care for us. Lord, would you glorify your great name? And would you help me to do that as I preach my Savior my friend, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 16, he, he, he begins to tell his, his, his disciples, a little while you'll see me no longer, and again a little while you will see me. Verse 17 says that some of his disciples said to one another, hey, what, what's this that he says to us? Like, what's this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Seems like a riddle. Like, what does that mean? And because I'm going to the Father. So they're saying, what, what does he mean by this? Like, what does, what, does, what does he mean by this? They're like talking to it. And listen, like Jesus has alluded to his death many times, right? Like he, is, he's, he said that by now many times. They, they have a sense that something's going to happen. But, but we don't get the sense that they know much about that, right? Like we don't get a lot of sense that they, that they really know Here's how that's going to play out. And, like, and they're probably sort of still hoping that he's just sort of saying some stuff to challenge them. I don't, I don't know. Like they're just, 
they're just in the dark a bit. They, they, they don't quite understand. They seem confused, and confused people ask silly questions, don't they? That's what they do. And, and, and hey, we have to listen to this account with some humility today, right? Because it's easy to look back, and you, it's easy to look at moments like this and be like, gosh, you know, like, what's wrong with you guys? But we benefit from being on this side of Calvary. We benefit from being on this side of Christ's death on the cross. And we benefit from being on this side of of watching them live in the darkness of those days when he's in the ground. We benefit from being on this side of the resurrection. We benefit from seeing how he walked with them for 40 days and he created the church and the, the apostles are infused with the Spirit's power. We benefit from all of that benefit from all this. So we have to have some humility as we, we look at this this morning and go, man, we wouldn't understand either. We wouldn't understand. And there's ways I think in which like Jesus is not trying to unfold too much of the plan because just like you and me, you would try to mess that plan up. You try to help God do it. Right? So there's, so there's a reason and there's a method to how he's wanting to unfold the coming events. And they're just like, hey, I don't know. <laughs> we don't really understand this. Their faith and their understanding of God's plan is immature. It's not grown up yet. I remember when, when Riley and Luke were little and how many questions they would ask. You know, like when they were little, it was like, there was a time and a season where I felt like life was a constant question. And I had to think about like, how do I say this in a way that won't be 20 questions after I say it? Like, enjoy that now, parents. Be a time where you want a question. Um, silly, like obvious questions, you know? Like, and, 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 and so that's what we're experiencing here. We don't know what he's talking, we don't know what he's talking about. So Jesus clarifies, verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. He always knows. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me. Jesus doesn't always really answer their questions like the way that they're, they're wondering them, right? Like he's just, he's, he's sort of, there's bigger issues sometimes than the disciples' questions. And, and you might actually experience that in your relationship with God. Like, you're asking questions and it just feels like, are we on the same page? This is the most important thing in my life. And God's like, no, it's not. It's not the most important thing. Like, that's, that's sometimes the relationship between disciples and Jesus that we see play out here. And Jesus, yeah, he's, he's just introduced them to the Trinity. He's the son. They already acquainted with the father. Now there's this helper. And, and so there's, there's this Holy Spirit. And he's not finished with sort of this line of instruction. And they're, they're trying to get the details right. And they don't quite understand it. And so he, he's like, is that what you're asking? And then verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And if I was there, I'd be like, wait, I have no more. I don't want to ask a question. Like, I don't want to know. Like, he's just immediately, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament and the world will rejoice. Now, the world that he's talking about isn't just everybody in humanity. It's like what he means by the world is the spirits, Satan, the powers of darkness. 
He means they will rejoice at his death, and they did. And the people who killed him, the people who looked at Jesus and benefited from his death, from from maintaining power and influence. There's, he's speaking of those people. He's like, there's people who love me and who've been pursuing me and who've been following me here. Who, I'm all about, like their, their whole life is all about me. And then there's all these people, the world, the spirits of the powers of darkness, Satan, demons, and everyone who benefits, everyone who tries to maintain power and who tries to maintain control they will rejoice. Not the disciples. They're the, they're the lamenters. And Jesus knew that they loved him. And he knew what his death would do to them. He knew that. He says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. I feel so much like loaded love and care for them that they don't know what they're getting to go getting ready to go through he knows it he knows it's going to tear them apart he knows it's going to shatter them he knows that he's trying to help them ease into the reality of that and he predicts that their joy would return just as he predicted that they would be sorrowful that this would be a dark moment in their life like he's like hey but it's gonna like there is going to be joy it will return to you because after his death and their darkness he knows what the resurrection will mean to them he knows that and in verses 21 and 22 he uses the example of giving birth that the sorrow of the impending pain of childbirth which I don't know what childbirth, I don't know the pain of childbirth, but I've, I've witnessed enough to know that this is a proper metaphor and to not make any jokes about it right now. <laughs> Amen. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Like, I don't know really how to preach this right now, but like the, the dread and the darkness and the like, do I have to, right? Like, does this have to happen? And when she's delivered the baby, it's like that didn't happen. The, the, the glory and the sorrow and the doom that comes upon, but when that baby comes, when that baby comes, the joy of new life overtakes all present reality. All present reality. And he's doing his best. Jesus is doing his best to help bring these sort of immature people who have not the spirit of God like dwelling in them in the way that we see in Pentecost. He's doing his best to bring them into this idea of man, there's gonna be some really different days in front of you. You're gonna be in the darkest place that you can imagine and I'm gonna like, one Easter morning, I'm gonna break dawn and you're gonna be filled with joy. So he's helping them to see that. Verse 22, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Your hearts will rejoice. And then he says something that may be like one of the most inspiring things that Jesus says, like kind of run through the wall, inspiring 
things. He says, you have sorrow now, but I'm going to see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take it away from you. Like that's one of the most inspiring things Jesus ever says. He says, you're going to see me again. You're going to watch me die and then you're going to see me alive again. And when you see me alive again, your hearts will rejoice and it won't be momentary. It'll be forever. Your joy will be unconquerable. That's what he tells his disciples. And it's a precious promise to his disciples and to you. It's a precious promise because they're getting ready to go through it. It's a promise Jesus is literally promising this to his disciples. And you need to see it as a promise this morning. Because of his death, because of the resurrection, sorrow will become joy. And this isn't just a reality for them. This is our reality. This is what we live in every day. We've inherited the blessing of the promise without going through the pain. Like we watch them go through that, but we inherit the promise of this new life and this new joy and this deposit of the helper, this ministry of the Holy Spirit. We, we inherit this. We inherit this this morning. It should cause us to rejoice. And so the questions that emerge this morning for, 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 for us in this moment is do we see his death? Do we see the resurrection? Do we see Jesus? Do you see Jesus this morning? Like, do you see him? Does, when you catch glimpses of Jesus, does your heart leap? Like when we're worshiping or when God's word's being proclaimed and there's just that moment, that sort of emerging epiphany, that emerging like revelation of Jesus where you just feel like he's almost there, like present. Like does your heart leap? Does it leap in faith? Does it get sort of that excitement that's sort of unexplainable? When you catch glimpses, do you find in yourself at times of deep sadness and sorrow and, and darkness, do you find unconquerable joy? I don't mean like kind of stupid giddiness, like, right? Like I don't mean some kind of weird thing where you're unable to experience sadness and pain. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but unconquerable joy in the midst of sadness, in the midst of death, in the midst of becoming so aware of your own brokenness. But like knowing like Jesus is with me and his plan is unfolding and his spirit of fills me and gives me joy. That's, what, that's the work that Jesus is doing with his disciples. It's the work that he always is wanting to do with us. It's the work of the preaching of God's word. It's the work of the singing of worship. It's the work of scriptures being read, of, of us confessing our sins to one another. That's, that's what God's doing amongst us. He goes on in verse 23 to say, hey, in that day, in the day in which this joy comes upon you and the other side of this dark hour, like in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in, of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask 
and you will receive that your joy may be full. So this passage is mishandled a lot, has been mishandled a lot. Specifically, prosperity teachers of God's word would say, see, anything you ask God, he gives to you. We know that's not true because life has taught us that lesson. Our own prayers have taught us that lesson. If you don't believe that, give me five minutes of your time. I'll prove it to you. It's, it's the wrong interpretation. The, to, to look at this passage, popping it out of its context, and trying to make it a formula. Or trying to use God's word against him so that he has to give you what you want. That's not what this is talking about. Jesus is talking about what it is to pray. What it is to experience this new life and this new creation and to be filled with God's spirit. He's talking about what it means to pray with the spirit to the father through the son. That's what he's talking about. That's how we pray now. Like that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It's, it's no longer the Jewish mindset of a man prays to the father. It's no longer that. He's resetting. In fact, this probably breaks a couple of their ideas of God, shatters it. Because the Trinity is sort of in view now. We've got the spirits helping them to pray. We got, and Jesus is praying, and we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Do you know that's the basis of Christian prayer? We pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we pray. That's how every prayer is prayed in Jesus' name. Historically, across most religions uh, up until now, and then even uh, up until then, and even now, the prayer is one person to one God, or one person to multiple gods, and it's believed to be, the outcome is believed to be based upon the righteousness of the person praying and, and God's disposition towards them. Right? Like, that's almost all of human history. Like, that's almost all religions. It's, it's a person praying to a deity, and it's based upon, the answer is based upon the righteousness of the person praying and the disposition of the God to the person. And, and that's not unlike these men who sit in this room and think about, hey, holy men of God prayed and God acted. He, his disposition to them was good. And if, and if unrighteous people prayed, God didn't act. Like that's, that's the reality. That's what, that's what we're dealing with. Jesus is setting into this, into this spirit, this, this, this new world of the spirit, a whole different reality than what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It's a Christ-centered way to commune with God. It's a Trinitarian way to communion with God. We already seen the helper. Now we see the son. We, now we see the father. We, we see that the, that the son on this side of Calvary, he ascended and he sits at the right hand of the father. And what does the son do? He intercedes for us. He's our mediator. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we're not trying to like figure out the Rubik's cube or the formula or the cheat code. That's not what this is talking about. What it's saying is that when you pray, your prayers ascend to the Father and Jesus becomes the mediator of those prayers. 
So it's no longer dependent upon your righteousness when the Father hears your prayers. You're guaranteed to get those prayers through because Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. And so the Father hears your prayers and he responds in love to your prayers with his love and favor towards Christ. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We pray to the Father through the Son's work, his finished work on the cross, his glory, his kingship, his presence in the throne room, seated at the right hand of God in power and glory, the king of everything, all-powerful. We, we pray through him. And the Father looks upon those prayers and in his passion and his love towards his Son, he answers them. And he always answers your prayers. He always does. He either grants your prayers or he thinks that they're not what you need or it's not yet time. He always answers them. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It's not a, a formula. It's not some unlock the power thing. To pray in Jesus' name, it's Trinitarian. It means like, I don't know, I don't know how this hits you right now. I don't know how it hits you right now, like how, how your prayers are, 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 how you feel like your prayer life's going. Like, I don't know if like some of you just feel like you mess up so much and like there's no way God wants to hear your prayers. Why pray? You, you pray sort of in the, in the reality of doubt and doom or shame from your sin or something like that. Like you, or, like, there's just this reality that you, that you may experience in prayer where you feel like your faith is so tiny, it's so small, let alone move a mountain. It couldn't move a mustard seed. Like, like there's a reality that we walk around with and we're still thinking the old way. And Jesus is like, stop thinking the old way. Start actually applying the gospel to every part of your life. Let the spirit of God work in you. You're no longer praying on the basis of your own merit, your own worth. Whether you deserve these prayers to be answered or not, you're no longer praying on that basis. Life in the spirit now looks different. Hey, how bad would it be for us if we prayed on our merit? We wouldn't get an answer. We wouldn't get an answer. You'd be lucky, one of us, in our life to somehow cross our paths with God's plan of sovereign, his sovereign plan. We might see it. One of you might. Maybe one or two of you are righteous enough. I wouldn't have a prayer answered. We pray. We commune with God on the basis of Christ's righteousness and what he's doing and and God wants you to know that. That's the good news. That's where our sorrow turns to joy this morning is the good news that your prayers are never heard by God based on your merit. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. If that doesn't give you joy, I don't know what will. The disposition of God to you because of the finished work of Christ I said these things, verse 25, to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer, no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. 
For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. It feels like he's just, he's got them in the right place to hear what he has to say. This is the good news. You're full of doubt and doom, but this is the good news for you. Like, this is what's going to happen. This is what new life in the Spirit is going to look like. Verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Figurative speech is like, it's that kind of speech that like allows you to sort of like leave this place and then look at something important from a different place, right? Like that's, and so it can be helpful, right? Like we can pop out, we can get a metaphor, we can get a parable. It's like, it's helpful because it's, it's how we like grasp on to something that's harder, but, but there's always a returning to just say something clearly, right? If you just speak in figures of speech, no one's going to know what you mean. Like, so, or really, they're not going to know what you mean. So Jesus is just like, hey, listen, here, here's what it looks like. And, and he, he basically says um, the same thing to them. And they say, oh, thank, thankfully, you're, you're saying this way we can understand it. And they're so thankful, but then verse 31, Jesus kind of does that whole Jesus thing, uh, Jesus juke, you know, it's like, oh, you believe now? Like, okay, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. So it's like, Sorrow, joy, now we're back to sorrow again. <laughs> like, it, it, because he's embedding in them. This isn't just some sort of mind trick, right? Like this is, he's embedding in them that this is a real reality. The hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. He's gonna stop talking in a second. And he's gonna pray and that's it. That's, that's it. He'll be betrayed. The hour it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. I just feel again sort of like the movement of Jesus' like heart in this. And, he, and, and Jesus is, is, is in the idea of scattering. He's invoking Zechariah 13, 7 and, the, and, and, and his students would have known this where it says strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. He's invoking the idea of, of, of the fact that he is going to be hit. They are going to scatter. And, and in that, he's like, you're going to leave me alone. He's just sort of actually experiencing as he's teaching them what that is going to be like. And then he follows it up with ultimate reality. And the ultimate reality is even when they leave him alone, he and the father are one. And he won't be alone. The father is with him, he says. And I have said these things to you, that in, my, that in me you may have peace. They will scatter. And Jesus is giving them something this morning so that when they do scatter away, the Spirit of God will move in them. They will not fall away, as some I imagine do. Ever thought about that? How many people were following at a distance when Jesus died, never to be seen again? Jesus' ministry to his disciples keeps them from following away through the power of God's spirit. And it's even in the sadness of their abandonment of his disciple that he still constantly is instructing them 
I, if I knew what he knew, I'd be like, I don't want to spend another minute with you guys, what you're getting ready to do to me, right? Like, I would just be trivial and angry. And he's like, even to the last minute, he's serving and he's giving and he's instructing and he's, and he's doing it and he's not just doing it for them, he's doing it for you. He's doing it for you. Because to God, there are no real setbacks. If you set in God's sea and you know what God knows in the face of human failure, the faithfulness of God brings his plans into fruition. Like that's the reality. Even when we don't know what's going on and we're confused and we're questioning God, what he's allowing into our lives, to God there are no setbacks. He's always going to see his plan unfold in all things in our lives because his love shined upon us in Christ. All the things in our lives are caught up in that. Like every darkness and every sorrow, all the things in my life are working to glorify God. And in the end, they're working to my good end. That's the reality. And these are the final words of Jesus to his disciples before that prayer. And I'm excited to get into that prayer. I'm excited to, but it's important to not just skip over verses like this. We need to see Jesus this morning. We need to experience joy where there's sorrow. And, and Jesus is like, hey, listen, there's, there's sort of two constants in, in, in reality. Like there's two constants in this world. One, in this life, you're going you're gonna to see that it's full of trials and it's full of tribulations. And everyone has experienced that. That's a constant. The world has been broken by sin. And Jesus is the only true peace to run to. Jesus is the only true peace to run to. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart. It, to the Jews, that didn't just mean, hey, like, have a great thought about this. Like, it didn't mean that. What he's saying is, take heart. He's saying the, the totality of who you are, you're, the way you think, the way you live your life, the way you do things, like the, the total, your identity, everything, the center of your being, the whole of who you are. Grab a hold of the whole of who you are and listen to this. I have overcome this world. And the Greek's beautiful here because it's not just like I, I did something that overcame the world. It's, it's, it, the, the push here is that it's always overcome. From this point and forever, it's, it's overcome. Like it's his lordship, his authority is extending out. And Jesus is predicting like this is what's going to happen. When I go into the grave, I will defeat sin. And when I am resurrected, I will give new life. And I have, that's how Jesus overcomes the world. That's how he becomes victor and king. And, and as his lordship extends throughout the ages... New believers like us are caught up into the story, the precious story of the gospel, and are given the same new life, and are given the same joy, and are given the same realities. And it means 
That overcoming, that lordship means that every tear you cry in this world will be paid back with a trillion years of joy in God's presence. Every sad moment, every loss you experience in this life, every tight and difficult circumstance and thing that you face will be paid back with a trillion years of pleasure in God's eternal kingdom. Joy, peace, patience, love. That's God's love casting over his disciples this morning. That's what he needs them to know and that's what we need to know. I want to I end this morning, I think as it's appropriate, on Pentecost to help you see that we live this life by the Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, he, you see he lived a perfect life, you know that he went, into the, to, to, he went to the cross and he went into the tomb to die for you. That his shed blood is for the forgiveness of your sins. And that he, God raised him from the dead. He, he created the church and he ascended to heaven and sent the spirit. Like if you believe that, then you, you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way to believe that. You have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and your life is lived by this helper. So I want to read to you um, I don't know if this is an exhaustive list. I just quickly pulled all these up today, or uh, not today, this week. And I, I just want to share what the Spirit does in your life. And I hope that in some way, like, you would be encouraged this morning and go, hey, this is what God wants for me. Like, this is what God wants for me in my life. And maybe you take a step towards that, or maybe you take another step towards that this morning and see what the Spirit does through the gospel. And like your prayers would change and the way you would pray would change. The faith that you would pray for others would change because now it's like not based on you anymore, right? Like you ever pray for somebody and it's like, I'm kind of scared to pray for them. I don't know if I'll mess up or if God will hear me. Like, like I'm praying that, that a lot of things in our lives could change if we get a, a, a revelation of what the Spirit does. So let me just read these to you and then I'll pray. What the Spirit does. <clears throat> the Spirit is the helper that teaches and reminds us. I'm praying God will do that this week to us. Convicts the world of sin, dwells and fills the believer, is the source of our revelation, of our wisdom, and of our power. The Spirit directs the mission of the church guides into all truth and knowledge of what is to come, gives spiritual gifts to the believers for the building up of the body of Christ. He seals the lives of the believers. He helps us in our weaknesses. He helps us to overcome sin. He makes us new refreshing, renewing, recovering, redeeming. He makes us new and he transforms our lives, giving us spiritual fruit, washes and regenerates human hearts to see and savor Jesus and empowers us to proclaim Christ 
And as we've seen today, he turns sorrow to joy. In the midst of really dark stuff, he turns sorrow to joy. And it is a miracle. It's a miracle. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, as we worship and as we come to the Lord's table, that you would, um, that we would help us to do that in response to your love and care for your disciples. Lord, I pray that even as we do respond and as we um, come to the table this morning, that your, your presence would fill this room in a special way. That, that, that res- the response to your word would be um, tender and that it would be real. And God, as the altar is open, that, um, that prayers would be prayed with newfound faith this morning, I pray. And then like, God, would you help us as we leave this place and as we go about our lives to become aware of your presence? To become aware every time we're with another believer, you're there, and every time that we're by ourselves, your affections and your favor is on us. Even when we're doing things we shouldn't be doing. So help us to step into some of that this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand?